Good afternoon, all. Steve Parisi here, your host today. We have one of our favorite guests, a friend of mine, Elizabeth Morgan. How are you today? I am great, Steve. How are you? Thumbs up, a mile a minute, and it is cold up here in Pennsylvania, but that's okay. It's winter time. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. It's going to be that way here in Austin. I understand tomorrow. So, wow. What? How cold is it going to get? Supposedly 27 degrees, which for us is really cold. Yeah, that's chilly down there. The, the other day, it was on the weekend, Sunday morning, it was one degree without the windshield. Um, and I'm, I still run just because I have to, uh, otherwise I go crazy, but it was it was cold. Yeah. I cannot imagine Steve doing that. So. I bundle up, I've got stuff all over me, it's, it's all good. <laughs> Better you than me. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> no, all good. Um, well, thanks so much for your time as always. What I want to talk about today is a question that a lot of people have that work with us. They ask about you and your firm, um, something I went through personally with you, um, with myself and my company, which is just overall business planning. You can call it estate planning as that's it's all one pick, one big picture at the end of the day. Um, like what that process looks like, like when you take, decide to take on a client first assessing, here's what you currently have right now. And then here's some recommendations we have. And then like when I got it, I look at it and say, okay, what? Let me go through each item. And I'm, you know, analytical, you know that already. But just helping one understand what each item means when you put a plan together and just building more awareness. I think that'll be beneficial for individuals. And we'll pull up some examples too, so they can see it as you talk through it. Um, and if they do decide to work with you, it'll be consistent that the flow chart that will pull up my, my chart with what they would receive. Good. Well, yeah, no, I think that that's a really important um, concept to, to discuss because, you know, I think one of the um, challenges today is over, uh, not over, too much information, right? We're just inundated with information and it's scattered. So how in the world are you going to understand, A, what you have, B, what the issues are, and see where you're going with so much noise going on, right? And so our process is designed to eliminate a lot of that extra noise and create a framework for you, for each client to understand where they are today, for us to get to know what your goals are, your hopes, your dreams, and your future goals with your estate planning and your business, chart it kind of like think about going to an architect. How can you go to bid or build a structure if we don't know exactly what it is we want to do? So the first part of the process is a general drawing, right? Think architect doing a hand sketch. Here's generally where you are and here's what we think you should do. Think additional sketch input from the client, and then we fine tune that sketch. And once it's final, then we can pull the trigger. And then if we need to, we go out and we find subs, depending on what it is that you're wanting to do. Um, and we put together a budget because everyone wants to know what is this going to cost, right? No one wants some, you know, just to write a blank check. And then the process will, uh, will result in documents with a chart 
that tracks the documents. And the idea is a living, breathing plan so that that chart grows, changes. Um, and it's really important as you start this planning, uh, you know, the good thing about using PowerPoint or any other version of charts is if you have something that feels comfortable to you, then you can easily use it to bring in other advisors. If you move from that lawyer and you have that, that PowerPoint plan that a future advisor can build off of, now you haven't lost all that intellectual capital that you've put into the structure. Yeah, if it's easy to communicate to others without the need for an explanation, um, something uh, my company struggles a lot with is cash value life insurance with the details where we always have to explain it, but I won't go down that road today. <laughs> um, so on that point, um, what we can use for an example, if you'd like, we can kind of start with my, my situation. I'm comfortable talking about that. And where we started, and I can kind of lay out where I was initially initially from the get-go, what some of my goals were uh, with Tara, my wife, like I wanted to make sure that she was taken care of if anything did happen to me. And then we'll kind of just move through that to the final picture, if you'd like. And then so people can yeah. see the chart that you actually put together, as I like the charts. So, I mean, I'm, it'll be fun to pull it up. <clears throat> that sounds great. Cool. So when I started, uh, when I got into the business, it was 2011 and just, you know, kind of worked, 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 did everything on my own. And someone recommended in 2015 that I set up an S corporation for my insurance business. And this was a contact of one of the larger mutual insurance carriers. And he recommended an S corp because he had heard if you have an S corporation, with life insurance sales, Steve, if you own it, but if you and then you die, renewals continue to flow to the S Corp. And he said, I don't think it works with an LLC or anything like that. So that right there, I'll add, is kind of a common mistake or we hear someone who's, you know, we view as reputable and he's a good guy. He, he is knowledgeable, but he heard it from someone else who heard it from someone else to say, hey, set up an S Corp because if you die as the owner of it, renewals continue to flow. Well, does that, is that the case with anything else? I don't think so. So on that point, I don't think so. The answer was, well, no, it is the case with something else, which we'll get into that where we converted the S Corp. But just having someone to actually vet each piece is important. So 2015, set up that S Corp and just built it over the years. Um, that was IBC Global. Um, December 2019, we launched our ILS Academy. We incorporated the business before then. Um, that's our agent coaching and training business. Um, but as we grew that company, it was just me kind of learning as I went, um, which I think is what all business owners really do. Because you first you have to make revenue. I got to figure the rest out later. <laughs> That's where you make mistakes. But as we grew, um, it started out with me. I uh, hired a couple part-time employees. And by the time I engaged with you and your firm, we were at something like 35 employees. And we're close to 40 now. Um, and we just grew it. We've got our employees on payroll. We've got our agents, which are commission-based. Um, and it was set up where if anything ever happened to me, it would be like, all right, well, Here's what we've been doing. I guess just figure it out, guys. Um, my wife was the beneficiary of my life insurance policies, which I want. Um, but we had no like succession plan. And 
we'd probably struggle um, if anything did happen. Of course, I'm young, so I think, hey, nothing should happen. But if it did, we would struggle in that respect. Um, any questions on that? I've been gabbing a lot. Um, anything that you want to interject on, on those pieces? <laughs> nope. That's exactly the uh, way that your case presented okay. at the beginning. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so then from that point, when we did connect, it was you, me, and Brock initially, uh, one of your associates, and then eventually Tara came in as well, and Dara, who's my sister-in-law and second-in-command here at the company. Um, but some of my goals from a personal standpoint was to make sure if anything did happen to me, I'd want Tara taken care of from a, a personal estate planning standpoint, which you talked through a lot of the, the emotional points with us there, but also from the company aspect. She's not directly involved in the company in the day-to-day -day operations. However, it, so why I say that is if anything did happen to me, I would not want her pushed out or not to receive anything. And the reason why is in the early years when we first got married, um, there are nights, you know, I was up to 2 a.m. just cranking away on different cases and such. And she never once gave me a hard time about that. Um, every time I mention that, I start to get emotional. So if I get teary-eyed, I'm sorry. But she never once gave me a hard time about that. And we always communicate openly. So that was something like, just when I think back, yes, yeah, she was not involved in the operations, but like... I could not have done it if she would have nagged me in that respect. You know what I mean? Well, she's more than that. She supported you emotionally, yeah. provided a comfortable home and a place for you that was the foundation for you to be able to build the business. Yeah. So. Like 50-50 all the way through. It was more her. I would have burnt out without her. You could say that. Um, but I mentioned that because that's an emotional point for me to say, like, if anything did happen, like, I don't want her pushed out by people that think she's not involved. Um, that's a fear that I had. So just when we structured that business to make sure that she would always be taken care of no matter what. And then also employees that have been here from the get go, making sure that they're taken care of. Um, we, we discussed like long-term profit sharing for them, for the people that are kind of the core members and they can earn their work their way into it. This way, it's a company for, for everyone, like not, not just me. Like I don't, I don't want that. I don't care, care for that type of, of, uh, planning. However, I express that. Um, I want it for everyone. That's my point. So that's a lot to say, Hey, here's some of my goals here, mainly Tara. And then also the employees here. I want them taken care of our clients. I want taken care of. Here you go. What's the best way to structure it was kind of the, kind of it. And then you gave me several ideas and I can pull up the chart whenever you'd like. Um, but that's, that was my mindset and some of my goals there, making Tara was taken care of the employees here. And then lastly, structuring the company properly. So as we continue to grow, we don't have to figure more things out um, from any legal aspects. Mm -hmm. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. And that was the benefit of the charts was to synthesize your thoughts with facts, because first we have to have the facts of the organization of the companies, what are the tax consequences, et cetera. So you have to start with the facts, then synthesize how you feel about it, right? Because emotions are important. Al aligned with the facts, make sure then that we could take where we are today, take where you want to go, and then chart a course. And in, and in fact, as you know, we are only on phase one of many for you as you grow. 
um, and having that that chart as a compass for you know the future is fantastic. But it also is a bridge. So if something happened to me as your advisor, that's the other issue. Uh, if something happened to me and Brock, we also want the ability to have somebody else step in easily because we don't want all the intellectual capital in our heads. We want to make sure that it's uh, you know kind of uniform and easily understandable in case something happened to us as well. Yeah, you know I like that. Um, all right, let's um we can pull up the ch- the chart if you'd like and kind of walk through that yeah. because I love that. I know people will from a visual standpoint and. Well, let's go through it. I'll add a note to our insurance practice where it says LLC, not S Corp there. But when we when we put this together, I guess I'll let you, if you'd like to, to take the lead here, um, because you'll explain it much better than I will. <laughs> no, I think, Steve, honestly, I think most of the people watching are going to want to know about your experience. Yeah. So why don't you, I mean, I can... chime in but i think your experience and the way that you your the way this evolved um is is almost the more important piece definitely this discussion yeah so initially it was just me and (laughs) (laughs) and i had over here part of my penmanship on the screen ibc global which was which is our insurance practice, which has employees on payroll, um, agents, which are 1099. We just actually um, converted them to statutory employees, so they're W-2, and we can help them with benefits and such. Um, but we flowed everything through IBC Global. I also had ILS, which technically is ILIS, um, but that's our coaching and training business. This also feeds all the knowledge to IBC Global with respect to cash value life insurance and really my background, all the stuff I've learned over the years. Um, but that's that's how we had it. two separate entities. I've also got you know IBC Properties, which is just um, the property we're in plus five rental units, just the property I own. My dad used to own it. He sold it to me. Um, but that's pretty pretty straightforward. That's just rentals, commercial real estate. So that that was it. Um, from a protection standpoint, from the trusts you see up here, had nothing, none of that. Um, I have some some life insurance. Uh, it's a total of about eleven million, and I had that at the at the point in time when we engaged you. I've had it for a number of years, but it was all just individually owned. Tara was the beneficiary. Um, did not make the final plans as far as how much should go to the company and such. Like that was it. <laughs> so I've got this stuff and then we kind of shifted into this, which is extremely interesting because now you've got like how I would look at it if I'm a consumer new to all of this. I use the word consumer. You can tell my brain's been trained to on the marketing aspect a lot. Um, IBC Global, which was an S Corp at that point in time, right. now reads LLC and is at the bottom. Right, bottom of everything, where we've got these management trusts up top, a holdings LLC, a management LLC, um, which my sister-in-law had a lot of questions on this because she she likes that kind of stuff with the HR position we talked about um, during our call. But as I look at this, if I'm new to all of it, or when I was new, I say, okay, I've got the revenue companies really at the bottom, and then 
what's the purpose of this? Okay, we've got these trusts in place. Like, what's the purpose of this? Where I would ask, like, all right, what, what is the purpose of this? <laughs> right. So when you came to us, just like yeah. you said, you owned two, kind of three companies. You had an existing property company that um, owned, uh, you know, owned real estate. You had your operations in IBC Global, and then you had ILIS, which you had just started and you're, you were starting to build intellectual property to support that business. So, uh, you know, we came in and of course we addressed the S-Corp issue um, for IBC Global because the challenge with an S-Corp, while S-Corps are fantastic in, from a tax standpoint, especially if you're trying to pay yourself a salary and we're trying to avoid self-employment tax, it works great. Um, and CPAs will just kind of knee-jerk assume that your entity is the only entity you're ever going to have. So that's why they put you into this escort structure. Um, and for some people, it's fine. That is the only entity they're ever going to have. And so it all works great. But if you're going to have multiple businesses, the more efficient way to do this is to hold the equity in a holding company that serves as kind of a central repository of all of your equity and to manage it separately because the management that's separate, which is in ILIS management, that's where all the human resources is, that's where your payroll is, it's where all of your C-suite things happen. So as time goes on, uh, if Steve, you want to build, you know, uh, phantom equity, if we put, you know, any of those, uh, even if we had an ESOP, um, any of our employee benefits, they would sit in the management company and the management company would manage it for the benefit of its employees. So um, what, what we were trying to do uh, for Steve in doing this was create a chassis. And I like the word chassis. I mean, a lot of people don't think about that anymore, but it's the, you know, the frame of a car because you can plug and play all kinds of bits onto the, you know, chassis. Um, and by, by doing that, we gave him flexibility in his structure because now um, we could segregate out his various lines of business, have it roll up into one company and then have it centrally managed. And that did a lot to facilitate his growth. He was having trouble growing in such a limited structure um, because it becomes cumbersome. How are we going to operate this? And where do the employees sit? And, um, and you know, how do I now plug another entity in and, and another and another, because we had already identified that you have some intellectual property that you're building that needs to be licensed to several of your companies. Um, and so we knew we needed to create a new IP entity. Um, it's one of the things that people forget about in the old days, right? The value of our assets were, you know, real estate, manufacturing, et cetera. And now intellectual property is the majority of our, you know, of assets that have value. So holding it separately uh, really makes, uh, you know, a big difference. And I, I'll just give you a quick little example. I had a, a woman who came to me as a referral and at the beginning of 
uh, COVID and we hadn't really begun to work together. Um, and she, all of her businesses were named with her name. So the branding was her name, her face, you know, all of those things. Um, and it was a very valuable business, but because of COVID, uh, it was very much based on the location um, of bringing people together. She had a very expensive lease on premises and, um, and the only answer was bankruptcy. Um, and so I brought in a bankruptcy lawyer that I love and trust. And the saddest thing was having to tell her that her intellectual property belonged to the bankruptcy trustee. And she was going to have to buy it out of bankruptcy, despite the fact that it was her face, her name, all of those things. Yeah. So segregating out that intellectual property in case there is a, a, a failure in one of your other entities, um, it protects you from that. But it also sets you up to have a situation if you sell one of your businesses, you might not want to sell your intellectual property, right? You might want to keep it and enter into an agreement with the buyer that, that they continue to license it from you. And um, you know it, it may or may not be a sale of IBC Global, it could be a sale of ILIS or a future business that you're going to build. Um, but that becomes also a very flexible tool to use for building those future businesses. Very nice. I like that. That part I didn't even think of. Maybe we discussed in the past, but I forgot. <laughs> but that's the fun part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other component of this uh, for Steve that was really helpful, um, he brought in, he wanted to bring in a partner as yeah. he built ILIS. And if he owned it, um, you know, in, the question was, what happens if I consolidate, right? I don't want to bring... Uh, Dara in at the top of everything. I want to bring her in only under this one subsidiary entity. And that still works beautifully with the holding company structure because each of these little subs can have other owners. So if, for instance, Steve found an investor who really wanted to come in and joint venture with him on his property company, his, his dad, you know, someone else, um, that is completely doable in this structure. So you're not losing any of the flexibility that you had. A lot of people think when I first say, I want to structure you in a holding company, they, uh, they think, well, well, wait a minute, I don't want to bring someone in at the top, top end and, and that you don't have to do that right. at all. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that's good about this is if Steve ever wanted to spin off one of his subsidiaries under the holding company, um, the employees all sit with the management company. It makes the spinoff very straightforward. We just did one for a client um, as of year end and the huge law firm was kind of blown away. Their documents didn't envision something as straightforward as that, I, right? I, yeah. Um, so that's the other thing I like. If you think about it for business owners, as you're growing, what you want is your foundation, your core, very strong. So if you leave your human resources and all of your employees at your core, then you aren't going to have tons of disruption. I mean, think about the management team who's constantly dealing with disruption 
for yeah. various subsidiaries, that creates huge amounts of cost to a business to have to retool on a regular basis. And, and the good news is Steve came to us when he was relatively young. So it wasn't really onerous to do this. I mean, there were definite steps and Dara had to do that, but um, it's, it's so much better to do it at the beginning of a business life cycle than later, because later it can actually be very disruptive yeah. um, if, if you have to move to this structure, but the structure eventually becomes very easy to manage. Yeah, and one thing I'll add too, when you mentioned at the beginning of, of structuring a business or businesses, um, a fear that some business owners might have when they hear that is, hey, I'm just trying to get things going or like, hey, how much would something like this cost? Um, because typically the answer is, I don't know, like we, we Google search this stuff to try and find answers. That's what that's what I always did. <laughs> that's what most people do. Um, and, and it's it's, you know, the thing I appreciate about appreciate about your group is it it wasn't that much. It's not ridiculous, but it's upfront as well. As far as here's an idea of how it would cost after we chart it out. Here's what it would cost for the personal side and also the business side. If it goes beyond that, we'll let you know first and we can stop or continue on. Um, there's transparency there so no one has ever has to fear um or have a fear of a big bill coming in hey where'd this come from like now you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff which that i think is a big big part of it big part of the fear and why people don't move forward i heard it was expensive or that stuff only fortune 500 companies or mega-sized companies do which isn't the case i mean i'm a, a small business especially when you look at it on a relative to scale to everyone else out there like it's it's not the case, but you can set it up where now it's very easy to grow. Um, so I did want to interject that piece. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the challenge is, and you know, how you have I, ILS, ILIS, people are always asking me, can't I train lawyers? Can I train them to do things the way we do? And, yeah. and the answer, I mean, while I do have associate attorneys who are amazing, um, I have to be very careful about who I choose because um, whoever you hire, they need to actually care about you. <laughs> and, and I mean, that's a huge, hugely important thing because the majority of law firms, um, you know, they are, they're organized in such a way, I will not say they're not good people, but they're organized in such a way that they don't incentivize people, attorneys, to actually care about their clients. There's no incentive at all to do that. And that's a failure of that business model, right? So for instance, one of the companies we sold for a, a, a seller, um, we closed it on Christmas Eve. The, uh, the buyer was represented by a huge law firm. And actually I thought the lawyers were good, but everything was based on forms. And of course there was a lot of negotiation and my client at one point, you know, in the middle of the night when we were on a Zoom call texted me and they said, it is so clear how much you care about us. And those other lawyers could not care any less, yeah. you know, about, but the difference is right, that Steve, you are an individual. I have grown to really care about you personally, you and your family. And that's a, that, that is something you can't teach, yeah. right? You can't teach that, but it's, in, it's imperative because when you go from the, you know, when you can't just think of this as a box, right? 
Like I know at your revocable management trust, there is a beautiful wife who is behind that. It's not just a box, mm -hmm. right? And it's really important for us to think through all the permutations, not just on the business side, but also what happens if this business owner you know, dies or becomes disabled and not just the business owner, what about all of the business owners employees? You know, what can we do to really protect them? Um, and, and those protections can be tax, it can be, um, you know, weather related, um, it can be all kinds of things. But, you know, in the old days, lawyers were trusted counselors, right? And um, so, you know, that's the other thing. There are lawyers who care about you. And, yeah. and so I would just say anyone who's listening, you know, having a trusted relationship with a, a, an advisor, um, some of them are financial advisors, actually. I mean, you know, some, some of them are, are that, but it's very important that this is a living, breathing thing. And, um, and, you know, you start it and, you know, it becomes something that you use to manage through your lifetime. But to Steve's point, it shouldn't be that expensive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the reality is that uh, if, a, if a law firm understands how to do these kinds of things, it's, you know, the hardest part is the planning. That's the hardest part because, and that's where the value comes. But setting a structure in place should really not be any more than five or $7,000, truthfully. Um, and so, you know, to Steve's point, I think a lot of you who are thinking you can't afford it, um, you know, you need to be prudent. But what I always tell young business owners is let's set a chassis in place, kind of like we've done with Steve, that, you know, let's not spend, let's figure out what we can afford to spend now. Let's make sure that what we spend is not going to, to not be valuable in the future, depending on how the growth pattern goes. And let's just think of it, let's think of it as Legos, right? Let's, let's, let's have one Lego today and then let's attach the Legos in the future. And, um, and one of the things that we do a lot is we'll have stage one, stage two, stage three, so that we can be thinking about what those various stages would look like. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I'll hit on that. What I want to hit on first is the the most important pieces you mentioned there. And I talk about this to everyone is one, having the, the proper amount of knowledge to know how to advise someone in the right direction, which you and your team does. But then the second piece, which is even more important, um, in my opinion, which is just caring and treating the individual how you would want to be treated. Right. There's a scripture on that. Right. Seven verse 12 of Matthew. Um, but that that's like the, the most important thing there. Even like when you take those two areas, finding someone that has both is is difficult. Um, but if I were to take one of those two, I would take someone who really cares first because you know they're gonna if they don't have the knowledge, they're gonna reach out to the right people to acquire the knowledge and right. and take that step for you. Uh, but to find someone that has both that they truly care, I'm gonna do the the same thing I would want done for me, or their situation's unique. Let me make sure I show enough options without overwhelming them. Um, it, it's a skill. It doesn't happen overnight. 
Um, you've, you've got to practice, you know, you've got to practice taking the knowledge, but then communicating it effectively. Um, speaking from experience, like when it comes to communication, it's not a strength of mine naturally. Like when it comes to like a lot of our videos and just how I interact with clients, it was something that I would sit in my office or at home and just rehearse it out loud to say, does this really make sense? Like I, I get it in my own brain, but I'm a, a software guy. That's the kind of stuff I like. So how do I make sure it's communicated where someone else gets it? And it's apparent that you care. But anyway, part of that's OCD as well when I say that. Um, but it's important to communicate that in an effective way so that people see, hey, they they do care as well. They've got my back, you know? Right. No, I think, I think that's true. And you've done a great job teaching yourself to communicate. I mean, it's, it is very, very hard. And one of the things that I tell everyone who will listen is if, if somebody is not explaining this to you simply, yeah. There's a reason. Either they want you to feel stupid, which unfortunately I think a lot of people, their ego yeah. does that, or that it, it's not that they want you to feel stupid. They just don't understand it well enough yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so honestly, it's one of those two things if they're not explaining it simply, because there are, you know, all of this, while it can be complicated, it's actually pretty simple. Yeah. You just have to understand the concepts well enough. Yeah, I love it. Um, let's get back on, on track here because there's some points when you were um, speaking earlier that I want to mention here. Um, just as far as the process, this, for example. So I mentioned the beginning, this was an LLC just based on information I received from an individual who I'm still friends with today. He's in the business. Um, good guy, but you know, he's, he's an insurance specialist, not a, an entity specialist. So converting it from an S corp to an LLC, the process there, just to give a little bit of glimpse of what it would be, what it, what it's like working with your team is Brock did a ton of research, right? He's calling um, the insurance department, right? In the state I reside in Pennsylvania, which from experience, I can tell you is not fun. You get a lot of runarounds. It's just conflicting information, but he sorted through all of it <laughs> quite nicely. Um, I also reached out to some higher ups at some of the larger mutual companies with the same question, just to cross-reference and provide because I, I have access to those resources. And the answer is pretty simple. Yes, if you have an LLC, if you die, Steve, renewals continue to flow to the company, which was important because that's a big part of the business on the insurance pro in the insurance practice, making sure that residual continues to flow in. Um, just with how we set up products, that's where the bulk of the the compensation comes from, just because we design it minimum compensation, maximum cash value. So that's where that was particularly important to me. But the answer is yes, you can do it after we cross-referenced it from uh, or got information from the insurance carriers, the uh, the state, the insurance department, everywhere. And that that's a lot of work. <laughs> right. So just uh, to, so for your audience to be clear, um, IBC Global was an ink. It was a right. corporation. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> Uh, and then the S election is a tax election. It's not a type of entity. And I think to Steve's point, what happens is people think they know and they'll say, do an S corporation um, without fully understanding what that even means. So an ink mm. is an avatar. It's a, you create it out of whole cloth. An LLC is an entity and truthfully, uh, before check the box regs, 
we really didn't know what it was. But for the last 20 years, we know what it is. It's a, it's a company. It's an entity, right? Yeah. So I can see how there would have been confusion, truthfully, because for a long time, people thought LLCs functioned more like partnerships. In fact, they were designed, the statutes were designed to do that for the oil business. So again, part of, yeah, so I think the reason <laughs> you mentioned that was to point out that we tenaciously right. pursue issues. <laughs> Correct. And, um, you know, we, we will often stop and say, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why would, you know, why would that be? And more and more, my role is the old lady who remembers, like, when the statutes changed and why those things happen. And so I'm kind of passing on that wisdom to the younger associates, but we always question ourselves, right? So to your point, we wouldn't have advised you to convert to an LLC until we knew for sure that we weren't wrong, that, yeah. you know, and, and so, you know, again, also that I think the other thing that points out is your, um, your own tenacity to get to the bottom of an issue. You didn't really even know there was an issue yeah. until we said, we think there's an issue <laughs> and it's gonna be a lot easier for you to run this business as an LLC than an Inc. Um, but working together, we could get to the bottom of it and find out it was just an odd misunderstanding and we could convert to an LLC and that's gonna make your life much simpler. Yeah. Um, the company is still an S corp, which has its own challenges. Um, but had we converted, uh, had we, it would have been a liquidation, which would have been a tax event, which, you know, didn't make sense for you at all. So again, what's interesting is, you know, the planning, our knee jerk reaction is why is this an S corp? We don't want it to be an S and then, well, we really don't want it to be an ink. And then we thought through what you know, made the most sense and a middle ground worked, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Let's just have an LLC. Let's not recognize gain if we don't have to. We can build value in other companies that are LLCs where we aren't as concerned about the S-Corp planning and go on down the road. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like that. Um, and I blanked on another item I wanted to say because I've been kind of thinking ahead of this too. Oh, what it was, what I liked a lot too, and I think like good job pairing me up with Brock, Brock, because like how I'll often communicate insurance and just, you know, answer detailed questions. He communicates legal aspects and just awareness points like that. I'm like, I, I love it. Like it's simple. I can follow it. Um, so I, I like his, his communication style probably because it's similar to how we communicate about life insurance. Um, but just when he provided awareness there from the research he did, it was all laid out in a easy to grasp manner and this stuff is typically not easy to grasp so that that helped save time because at the same time i'm you know focusing on running a business with the employees the sales all that good stuff so it helps just condense it and make it more convenient to understand mm -hmm. no that's really that's really true and one of the problems that lawyers have is they like to hear themselves talk and think yeah um and again that's also laziness on the part of anyone yeah. Truthfully, mm -hmm. because, um, and, and so distilling things down to their finer points yeah. makes it much, much easier. And I can tell you it's, it's painful um, for most people, even really, really smart people to come out of school 
and have to learn to really distill it down because that's a that's a different skill. But um, you know, there's also you and Brock both have engineering kinds of brains. So um, that's also my job as a supervising attorney. I have different lawyers with different communication styles. Yeah. So making sure that I match, you know, who's helping me on a client matter with the communication style is important too. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, the point you mentioned there, I had that big gleaming smile when you said um, it's lazy, not always communicating it um, or having to hear yourself talk or whatever it might be. So I think we just released it two days ago, a video on that as we coach and train agents to do the same thing. When someone wants information, don't just say, well, here's the option that is best for you because everyone does it or here's one option. Like, no, show them what they want to see. And then if you think something's better, show additional recommendations. You've got to make it transparent for them. Yes, it's extra work on your end because you've got to communicate it. Sometimes you have to practice communicating it clearly. But the options I, I laid out was A, do the extra work and likely win the business and you've got a good relationship with the client. Or B, be lazy, usually fight with the client when they go shop with someone else and it doesn't it doesn't ever go as well. You just get frustrated. Um, but anyway, you just hit a nerve when you said that because we literally just released that like two days ago. <laughs> um, with this, we can kind of wrap up on the chart as well as far as building it. So one of the things that, that we discussed a couple months ago, and that's actually coming, our, coming around a circle again, um, is as we continue to build this, right, we did talk about two things, right, another entity um, just for another area of business, which I won't disclose what that is now, but then also call it for this company, a potential CEO, and having everything separated is important because before, like if I didn't have all of this set up and I say, yeah, I've got these different businesses. Let me bring you on as a CEO and he's working for a, a giant company and understands business. Like trying to view it from his perspective, if I have no organization or no management there, it's like, hey, I'm not, you're not ready to bring on a CEO to help you grow versus this. And then you took the time and met with him and me as well, that's a different story to say, okay, like, yes, like we're aligned from how we, you know, cash value, life insurance, all that good stuff. But then here's the operational side, P&L statements, all that stuff that if you're going to try and get to that next level, when you're bringing in CEOs, other advisors, um, if it's investors, if you're looking at that kind of stuff, you, you have to be organized and you can't keep it in your head. One, it's impossible, but two, you can't just think you've got it in your head. That means you're not at that level. Um, the stuff's important because if it's not there, thinking of it, think of it this way. If, if someone tried to bring me in or tried to bring you in and say, hey, what do you got? We got this great company. We drive a ton of revenue. I can show you our last month sales and such. All right. <laughs> like what's your organizational structure look like? How would you compensate him? Um, and it goes beyond that. Now, like here, where his role would be with this company, not necessarily the other carriers, giving him some phantom equity. Even the first time you and I talked, I'm like, what's that called? Ghost equity? I didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I like to make fun of myself. It keeps it fun. Um, but the point is, like, how do you structure that as well? What do other companies do? Um, that the structure has helped because he sees, all right, this is a, a smaller company. I relate it to, you've got a small start startup in a Silicon Valley and you're trying to recruit an Apple executive to help you with that explosive growth. Um, he, the executive wants to make sure 
is this company organized? Maybe not to the same degree as Apple, but do they have the base, the foundation where I can come in and really propel it forward without having to do a bunch of the nitty gritty things that I don't want to do because I've been in business for 30 years. Like I'm, I'm over that. Right. And it also, um, if you think about the process of selling a company, so that also is another benefit. So in the same way that, um, you know, this is really just an intangible, but it's clear you bring in other C-suite people and they're like, okay, this guy gets it, right? He's spent the money to make sure he has a structure that works well. I can come into a clean room. I don't have to first throw out all the garbage and then, you know, dig down to what gold is there and then rebuild. Now, sometimes those C-suite people, you know, they want to do that because they want to bring in all the people they know. And it's good if you have a structure that you feel good about, then you can also diffuse that argument because there is no reason for them to do that. You've built the, you, you've built the house he want, he's coming in to now build the, the addition, yeah. but you like the way the tenor of the development looks. And so that's really beneficial. The other thing place where this works is if you were to go and sell, let me just say it's ILIS. Let's say you went to sell it. If we're talking to a broker, not IP, the other one, just the ILIS. Yep. Yeah. Let's say you're selling ILIS and we go and engage a broker. Um, I haven't been that successful in this argument yet, but I'm planning to be successful is a broker charges a ton of money because they, their job is to clean up the structure, to get all of the documents in the data room, to do all the due diligence, et cetera. So if we've done this beforehand, first of all, it's, you know, easier to negotiate a smaller fee with the broker. Um, and and you know, while I've only been partly successful in the future, like Steve, if you decided to sell a business, I would argue the fee down on the broker because there's not going to be near um, the job to get this ready to sell as you would have um, ordinarily. The other thing too, is if you have a potential buyer, they're gonna look at it the same way as this new CEO because they're gonna say, okay, I can see all the books have been separated. They've been done correctly. I don't have any worry. As a matter of fact, the company we sold in December, we had a structure just like this. And at first it was gonna be an asset sale. Um, and they actually criticized our structure, like who does this? And who has, by the end of it, they bought the company <laughs> because <laughs> they could see that it was done so well that they could buy the company. They weren't worried about liability, any of those excess issues. Um, so I think that there's also that piece of it that you know I know that we're unique. Most lawyers don't do all of this. <laughs> um, we do all of it because we feel like that's the way we can provide the best service to our clients. I don't wanna keep bringing in yeah. people to advise on other bits of it, which is, um, you know, I, if, if there is someone we need to bring in on occasion, we clearly do, but um, this is such a great chassis for you to build on. And, you know, if something, or, you know, eventually something will happen to you. Um, I think the way that we've built in how the business transition is going to occur. I mean, we have, a, we still have a little bit of work to do there, 
But that's the other benefit of the holding company because Terra gets the equity, the benefit of the value, but the operations on the management side can then be run by the employees. And that's something people don't think about a lot. People spend a lot of time talking about business succession. Um, and I started using management companies to solve for that a long time ago, because when you have a business succession issue, you want the family to get the, the value of the equity, but clearly you're going to need the management team to stay engaged on the management company. So dividing that process and those two roles is really the only way to do it uh, easily. I mean, there are lots of ways to do it, but that's an easy way to do that. Got it. Very nice. Well, thank you for that overview. Last question. This one could be quick. You've told me why. But the holdings and management companies are out of Delaware, whereas, well, the IP company is, is as well, but the original companies are all PA. So for someone who doesn't know, like, why Delaware? <laughs> so um, in your structure, we've done a couple of things. That's such a great question, Steve. <laughs> So what we did was we siloed all of your lines of business. And in the new company, we will also have a new line of business that will be siloed. Um, if I am an owner of an LLC, um, I am uh, protected from liability for the business operations. Um, only, you know, my liability only extends to my investment, right? So if I'm not guaranteed debt, my liability is limited. Um, by so what that means is that uh, business creditors can never, as long as the entities are maintained properly um, and there is no piercing of the corporate veil, I can protect the owners of these companies from business creditors. Hmm. Um, the, the problem is that you want the silos because if we had a failure, in you know one of the companies and it was all in one then the creditor can get whatever is in that business which is why we segregated this out into the four companies that we have the 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 reason we have delaware at the top though is that not all states will protect the ownership interest of the owner in the downstream assets. So we're talking about third-party creditors. Delaware is one of those states that says, no, if we have a third-party creditor, they're limited to a charging order. They have to sit and wait until money is distributed up to the debtor before you can take anything. So it's adding a layer of asset protection at the top that you wouldn't have in Pennsylvania. Now, the question is, why wouldn't we put everything in Delaware? Well, um, you know, the property company, we want to be operating in the place where the real estate is located, because if we have a foreign company, we have to register it to do business, to hold real estate. There's an additional filing fee, which isn't a lot, but it's still, why do I want to pay an extra couple of hundred dollars a year when I just use the jurisdiction where the property is located? And by doing this structure, we get protection from the bottom end and then from the top side. Got it. Well, thank you for that overview. That's beneficial, especially because that's the kind of stuff that 
like who knows about this other than someone in that profession, you and your firm, but it's difficult to keep track of. And you don't have to if you're a business owner, like this is where it can be set up properly. Um, and that's just me speaking from my experience and you setting it up. Well, the other thing, like one of the things I just noticed, we need to update your chart with the yeah. EIN for mm-hmm. um, ILIS. The other benefit of this is that if we keep all of the salient information on a chart, you know, who owns what, what's the EIN, is it disregarded, is it a partnership, is it an S-corp, that's also incredibly helpful because then you don't have everyone going, what is this, I can't remember, am I filing the right returns? It's just a really good field map, you know, think general on a battlefield, He doesn't want to have to pull out five different things. He wants to be able to have one map, know where all the landmines are, um, and that makes it easier. So that's what it also does. And the charts do help. And this is a little off off point, but still on point with the charts. Um, A case that that you had helped out with the large insurance policy, um, the insurance company just had some concerns just just based off of their, you know, just their compliance department and such. But this chart helped them. They understood that. The attorney at the company, right, during our call, just you kind of went over it with them. And that was something like when an attorney up top at one of the top insurance carrier gets involved, involved and says, hey, this is like... Our, our standards here, we don't like to bend them. Um, after that call, he was completely, hey, we're good, which I'll, I'll say this. I've never seen that happen before. Uh, and I wouldn't say that to someone if it would inflate their ego. Like you don't have one from all, like from all of our conversations. But um, like that's that the flow chart was the beginning of that or there's more to it than that. But it wasn't just that um, you came onto a call. I think that would have done it as well. But they saw everything in advance to say, hey, there's a lot more in this plan than just we're funding a life insurance policy in a particular way. Here's the money's coming from. Um, it, it helps. This was one of the major, like largest insurance companies in the world. And you've got their attorneys that know their stuff in and out. Um, and they saw this and said, okay, this makes sense. Had an additional follow-up call with you and everything got approved exactly how the client wanted without having to you know, go through additional steps to accommodate what the client wants, what the company wants and all that extra stuff that is just an inconvenience at the end of the day. Um, so it, it helps well beyond just your own personal planning and peace of mind. Like if you need to you know, make strategic moves and you're dealing with big insurance companies or maybe financial institutions, this helps the people up top to see it with bigger cases. The people up top are looking at it to say, okay, there's actually, you know, there's there's information here that is solidified. Like this is not just a made up, you know, shoot by the hip plan. Like this is real. So it, it helps with that. But And I think, so to your point, that's a really good point. You know, um, if you think about life, um, yeah. you know, you have to expect that, um, you know, these, those kinds of questions are going to be asked. So, you, you know, you want to make sure, A, you know what's going on, B, that it's correct. And then from there, again, your foundation, your core is really strong. If someone questions you, it's okay. You don't mind because you're right. <laughs> you, you know, you understand the regulatory issues. You're not trying to do something weird. Um, and, and I think that we're in an increasingly 
complicated regulatory environments. And I will tell you, I'm gonna throw out my own little, this is my own opinion, not the opinion of anyone but me. Um, I think there's just been huge um, momentum against small business and whether they're doing it on purpose or, um, or not, uh, th these kinds of compliance and regulatory issues are, are becoming more and more difficult. And, you know, I, I believe that small business is the backbone of a free market. And so what I always tell everyone is, let's just always know that we're right. And let's, because we don't want our small business owners to think we can't do it. You know, like on that case, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And even the kids in my office were like, Elizabeth, we're going to have to take money from over here. I was like, no, no, we're just going to have a call. We're going to explain to them why this works yeah. and it'll be fine, right? Mm -hmm. Let's not run around scared. Let's make sure we're right. Now, just because you're right doesn't mean you win, right? right? There are lots of times that people don't care, right? And they're the ones with power. And, and, but start with, know you know, know that you're right, know that your information is correct, and it builds trust. And, um, and out of trust is really where the friction goes away. And I think people forget that, that, you know, with a group of people, and whether it's regulation or whatever, um, you know, just do it the right way. And don't then throw up your hands, because part of me thinks half the time, and I'm not saying these people at the insurance company, but there are a lot of people who are doing it incorrectly. Um, at least for now, if you're able to explain why something is correct, you're not laundering money, you're not doing anything weird, you know, here's what the tax rules are, we're complying with them, then people are actually grateful, yeah. um, you know, for that explanation. Yeah, that, that's important. Yeah, I, I love the way you put that. Just being upfront with people is that you could summarize it that way. That's there was another exception with the actual design of that particular policy in that situation with the amount um, exceeding their normal PUA limits. And that was that was a conversation I just had with one of their top actuaries. And more or less is like, here's our limits. I'm like, that that's okay. Like all I want to know, like, here's the goal. Here's the different carriers we're considering. What will you guys do based on the limits that you offer for this type of case? Like, that's what we want to know. Um, and, and there were illustrations I couldn't even run. Like, the software won't permit you. There's, like, three people at the home office. My contacts is, like, getting the codes to the nuclear missiles to be able to produce those illustrations. I'm like, dude. <laughs> but anyway, um, I figured out how to duplicate it on Excel once I just cut it in half and added three basis points. But anyway, um, my point is, like, just exactly what you said. Just be upfront. Don't try and hide anything um, and tell them what the goal is, goals are. We're willing to work within the limits. What will you do, especially if it's a competitive case? Um, and we're able to push it up, which was always fun. <laughs> always fun. Well, thank you so much for your time. Anything you want to add to this before I just take the screen down and wrap up? Mm -hmm. uh, can I just add my little yeah. regulatory plug? Yes. Can mm -hmm. I just talk about that a little bit? Definitely. So for, I mean, it's, it's really kind of off topic, but it's really important, I think, to my point about increased regulation. So we have had, um, again, this movement toward what I believe is over-regulation. Yeah. Um, so there was an anti-money laundering act that was passed in 2020. Um, it was signed, it, it actually became effective January last year 
part of it um, included some beneficial ownership reporting rules for companies that are small and they're still working through the exemptions. But um, for a company like the, a company structure like this that Steve has, the new requirement and, and we the regs are open for comment. The comment will be closed February 7th. Then the regs will become final. But basically what it's going to do is if you control a company or you own 25% or more of it, you will have to, within 14 days of forming a company, report the beneficial ownership on the financial crimes network portal. Um, the penalty for failure to do that in a timely way or correctly is $500 a day of um, a failure and a possible criminal penalty. So, uh, you know, this is kind of what I'm talking about in terms of this regulation that will scare people away from forming entities. So what I want to do is educate people on the fact that it's coming. Um, I don't think it should scare anyone away from forming a company and a business. Um, you know, it, the government can't take care of all of us, um, despite you know, what seems like momentum to convince us of that fact. Um, but just know that it's out there. And I am thinking the regs will likely become final in the fall. Once the regs become final, we have a year for existing entities. So Steve will be um, helping you through that um, to report, but new entities. So your new entity that we're going to form, we may have to do a report within 14 days of formation. So just a little, you know, current event uh, for your listeners. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, the, the reason that they say they're doing it is to stop money laundering. But, you know, I will tell you that if you're laundering money, you're, you're probably not doing it this way. Yeah, so, all the um, extra steps, right? Right. Right. Yeah. It's just extra, just extra. So. Yeah. Well, thank you for that insight. That's extremely interesting. I hope it doesn't happen, but if it does, I'm glad I know you guys <laughs> yeah. to say the least. Well, that was, you know, a pleasure. Thanks for going through all that. I'm sure everyone thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, if you'd like to reach out to Elizabeth or her office, we've got our contact info below. Um, and that is all I have today. Thank you so much for my time. Always appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You as well. Thank you.